Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today's case is out of Alaska. Small talk sucks, so let's dive in. Nineteen-year-old Cynthia Hoffman, known to her friends and family as Cece, was about as wholesome as they come. Her father told the Anchorage Daily News that she was sweet and innocent, and according to KTUU, her definition of rebellion was occasionally drinking a soda or an energy drink. Cynthia was one of seven siblings. According to Inside Edition, she lived with her parents, four sisters, two brothers, and two cousins that her family had taken in as their own. And they were best friends. This was one of those families that was always doing something together, and your parents, sisters, and cousins were the people that you called when something exciting happened or when you needed help. According to Fox News, Cynthia had a learning disability that caused her to operate on a 7th grade level, and it left her vulnerable. She took people at face value, trusted their intentions, and according to her father, all she ever really wanted was to make friends. And she did. While she was in high school, she met a girl named Denali who went by a few other names, Angel, Angela, and Dakota, but her name was Denali, so that's what we're going to call her. Even after high school, Cynthia and Denali remained close. For work, KTUU reports that Cynthia helped her dad out with his handyman business. She tried her hand at some other jobs, but in the end, her father's business was where her heart was. Growing up, he had taught her and her sisters everything he knew, and that's where Cynthia felt comfortable, and frankly, she loved making her dad proud. The weekend of Saturday, June 1st, 2019, Cynthia and her sisters helped their father out with a paying job, and the following day, the 2nd, the outlet reports that Cynthia was supposed to meet up with her sister to get her portion of the money, but she never showed up. Now, according to Inside Edition, her father thought she was hanging out with a friend, going to the mall and the movies. But after leaving the house, she never came back. She didn't text, she didn't call, she didn't answer the phone, and she didn't come home. Now, this wasn't like Cynthia at all. Like we mentioned earlier, this family was extremely close and they communicated constantly. Cynthia's parents knew where all of their nine kids were at all times. In fact, the Daily Beast reports that every three hours, like clockwork, Cynthia would text her dad. In an interview with KTUU, Cynthia's father's exact words were, When dad calls you, I don't care if you're at church and the holy pastor is preaching. I don't care if you're at school taking the high school diploma test. If dad calls, you answer. But on the second, she didn't. 
By the night of the second, Cynthia's dad had that gut feeling that something was wrong. He called the police to report his daughter missing. However, he told Inside Edition that he was told he needed to wait 24 hours before filing a missing persons report. If you're screaming and contemplating throwing your phone, you are not alone. You absolutely do not have to wait 24 hours to report anyone missing, child or adult. But that's what Cynthia's father says he was told. So he waited. But by early morning, when Cynthia still wasn't home, he said screw it and he called again. Within 12 hours of his initial call on the morning of June 3rd, 2019, Cynthia Hoffman was officially reported missing. The first reports that came out about her disappearance said that she was last seen around 4 p.m. with a female friend at Polar Bear Playground. According to a criminal complaint, that female friend was Denali, and she had texted Cynthia's sister the previous day saying that she had dropped Cynthia off at that park. Polar Bear Park is this nice little park in the middle of what looks like a cluster of suburbs. Neat little neighborhoods with this big square recreational park smack dab in the middle. There's some wooded area, baseball fields, and of course, that playground. It's pretty open for the most part and pretty well frequented by people in the area with main roads that surround all sides of it. So if Cynthia was dropped off there in the middle of the afternoon in broad daylight, certainly someone would have seen her, right? Alaska has very unique weather. I don't know if weather's the right word, but depending on the season, it's either really light or really dark for extremely long periods of the day. But on that particular day, June 2nd, 2019, the sun rose in Anchorage at 1.34 in the morning and didn't go down until 11.22 that night. So make no mistake about it. According to Denali, Cynthia was dropped off at a highly populated park in a highly populated area in broad daylight. As the police began their search for Cynthia, her dad wasn't trying to wait around, so while they looked, he formed his own search party, telling KTUU that he went speeds he probably shouldn't have been going and took his motorcycle through the woods and down bike paths looking for his daughter. Now, while all of this was going on, the outlet reports that Cynthia's best friend Denali was texting her father things like, Is she okay? I hope she comes home safely. She's my best friend. I'm starting to get worried. She won't answer me. I think she's ignoring everyone. I know she will come home safe. His brain was going 1,000 miles a minute and trying to think of anything he could do to make sure the public knew to be on the lookout for him. Because ultimately, Cynthia's father didn't feel like the police were taking her disappearance seriously enough. He told the outlet that he didn't think they understood just how vulnerable Cynthia's disability made her. And he was kind of right. Because a spokesperson from the Anchorage Police Department told KTUU that Cynthia's learning disability wasn't included in her initial report. And had it been, she would have been listed as endangered, which would have prompted the police to send out an alert to the public to be on the lookout for her. The police continued their investigation behind the scenes while Cynthia's father continued his own search. But as the hours ticked by, he had this sinking feeling. According to KTUU, it went from something is wrong to this overwhelming sense that he was going to get a knock on the door. And that evening, a little bit after dinner, that knock came. Her 
Her father told the outlet that when he opened the door, the officers asked to speak to him in private. Her father said, she's dead, isn't she? To which the officers responded, yes. Cynthia's body had been found on the banks of a creek at Thunderbird Falls. Her feet were bound with duct tape and she had been shot in the back of the head. Thunderbird Falls isn't anywhere near Polar Bear Playground. In fact, it's about 26 miles northeast of the playground. So it's not like she could have walked there after getting dropped off, and Cynthia didn't have a license, learner's permit, or vehicle to have driven there herself. And while Polar Bear Playground was highly populated and surrounded by homes and major roads, Thunderbird Falls is the exact opposite. It's essentially in the backwoods behind the middle of nowhere. You drive down this pretty desolate road until you come to a little parking area. You can hike through a main trail to an overlook where there's a waterfall, or you can walk along a river, and if you go far enough back, you'll find a creek. And while I say far enough back, it's really not that far. This trail isn't a huge undertaking, and it's pretty well maintained. Cynthia's body had been found, but everyone was wondering how. Like I mentioned, this wasn't a highly populated area and she wasn't found on the trail or anywhere near where Denali said she dropped her off at. This is where things start to get really twisted. According to the criminal complaint, which can be found on Scribd, on June 3rd, the day after Cynthia went missing, the police called Denali's mom. You know, call the parents of the best friend. But when they called, Denali's mother told the police that Denali had told her that she and this 16-year-old boy named Caden, who Denali called Anthony, but again, his name is Caden, so that's what we're going to call him, had gone to Thunderbird Falls with Cynthia and that Caden had shot Cynthia in the head and pushed her into the water. The police followed that lead right to Cynthia's body. The entire time Denali was texting Cynthia's dad things like, I hope she's okay and I know she will come home safe, she knew Cynthia wasn't coming home. The following day, the police interviewed Denali about what happened and she told them that she, Caden, and Cynthia had smoked some weed in the valley and then headed up to the falls. When they got there, Denali says that they all agreed to tape each other up with duct tape and take pictures. Seems odd, but whatever, that's her story. She says that Cynthia's hands and feet were bound with this duct tape and that she had some over her mouth when she started to freak out. Denali says that they took the duct tape off of her mouth and when they did, Cynthia said she was going to call the police and tell them that they had kidnapped and sexually assaulted her. At this point, Denali said that she had a 9mm gun in her hand that Caden grabbed from her and proceeded to shoot Cynthia in the back of the head with. Denali told police that even though Cynthia had been shot in the back of the head and was lying on the ground, she thought Cynthia might have been trying to call 911 and said that she saw her twitching before she claims Caden pushed her into the water. There are several things wrong with this story aside from everything. Teenagers have done strange things, but deciding to take turns being bound with duct tape to take pictures seems a bit far-fetched, especially considering the fact that Cynthia's definition of rebellion was the occasional energy drink. Even if they were taking these photos as some sort of statement or to post on social media, it just doesn't seem like something Cynthia would do, let alone the whole smoking weed thing. Weed is whatever, it's decriminalized in most states and legal both medically and recreationally in Alaska, but weed wasn't something Cynthia was ever known to smoke. Frankly, she wasn't known to smoke or drink anything. Is it possible she did? Sure. But her father told KTUU that it would have been extremely out of character. 
But let's just say for a minute that we buy the weed and photography story. Why was there a gun there and why was it loaded? When we look at the entire situation, we have Denali texting Cynthia's sister that she had been dropped off at Polar Bear Playground, which we know isn't true. We also know that a loaded gun and duct tape were brought into the woods with them. Denali's story didn't explain why she had brought a gun or why she was holding one when Cynthia was being bound. She didn't say that they had brought a gun for the photos, and even if she had, which again, she didn't explain, if it had just been for the photos, why was it loaded? This whole thing had me questioning how this 18-year-old girl even had a gun in the first place, so I looked up the laws in Alaska to see exactly how hard it would be to get one. According to usconcealedcarry.com, Alaska is referred to as a shall-issue state, meaning you don't need a permit to own a gun, you don't have to register it, and there's no background check required when you purchase a gun from another person. It's also an open carry state. For a lot of open carry states like Virginia, you can carry a gun on you so long as it's clearly visible, but you need a permit in order to conceal it. However, in Alaska, you don't need a permit to do either, so long as you're 21 or older. According to the Alaska Bar Association's website, you can buy a shotgun or a rifle at 18, but you have to be at least 21 in order to buy a handgun. And the gun used to kill Cynthia, which Denali admits to bringing, was, according to the criminal complaint, a 9mm handgun. So if anything, at the very least, we know that Denali was not old enough to have legally purchased the gun used to kill Cynthia. But let's move on to the part of the story where Denali says Cynthia freaked out, saying she was going to call the police and tell them that they'd kidnapped her and sexually assaulted her. That's a really specific thing to say, and it doesn't seem like something Cynthia would have said out of the blue. I mean, considering the fact that she was literally bound with duct tape at this point. The biggest issue with Denali's story is where exactly Cynthia was shot. If Cynthia was freaking out and saying all these things after they'd taken the duct tape off of her mouth, how did she wind up being shot in the back of the head? Regardless of the major holes in Denali's story, she was actually released after being questioned. But according to KTUU, Caden was picked up and charged with first-degree murder and tampering with evidence. With Caden in jail now, Denali decided it was the time to start posting about all of this on Facebook, and it wasn't going well for her. She posted, So here's the short version of what really fucking happened, so all of you who think you know the real story, shut the fuck up. I was terrified for my fucking life, so here you go. My short version of it, so fuck off. I didn't do shit except listen for my damn life. I had to post this. I was told not to, but fuck it. I'm done with all you people who think they know everything. I'm grieving too and have PTSD now. A doctor evaluated me and confirmed it. He shot her in front of me after he took my gun from me when she was about to call the cops on him for sexual assault, kidnapping, and abuse. He then turned to me and said that I had to leave with him since he can't drive the car and listen to him, and I'd be okay. If I didn't, he probably would have shot me too, and I would have ended up like her, so I did everything he said and lied so I could live. Obviously, Denali was laying it on pretty thick, and people were still wondering why anyone would bring a gun and duct tape to a waterfall trail, and continued questioning everything Denali said. So, Denali made another post on Facebook. It read, if I get one more threat or one more hate comment, I will literally end my life and all you motherfuckers will lose the one testimony that will put that boy Caden in jail for life. You want justice? You want to try me? I'll fucking do it. And that bastard will walk free. Try me. I dare you. 
I've already tried to OD yesterday. I'll fucking do it. I'll let that asshole who killed her walk a free man because without my testimony, y'all motherfuckers wouldn't even know what the hell happened. So I dare you, test me, and I'll kill myself, and that killer will be released. Essentially, it seemed like Denali was trying to control the narrative of people's suspicions about her shitty story by holding what she says is the truth for ransom. As it turns out, though, Denali wasn't the all-knowing key to justice, because Caden was starting to talk. According to KTUU, Caden told the police that when Cynthia freaked out and threatened to call the police, he blacked out but remembered shooting Cynthia and pushing her into the water. If he remembers both of those things, I'm not sure exactly where the blacking out part comes in, but what do I know? The Daily Beast reports that Caden said he wasn't sure whether Cynthia died of the gunshot wound or from drowning, and I've looked and I can't find any reports that list her official cause of death. After killing Cynthia, he says that they both agreed to text Cynthia's sister and make up a story about dropping her off at Polar Bear Playground and then headed to Mountain View to burn the gun in Cynthia's belongings. Knowing all of this, Cynthia's father told KTUU that he doesn't believe his daughter was a willing participant in any of it. He thinks Cynthia was either abducted or lured by friendships into a situation that she never would have agreed to, and it kills him to think about what Cynthia was going through in her final moments. It haunts him to think that she might have been yelling out for her dad. When it came time for Caden's first day in court, Cynthia's father didn't hold back, and according to the outlet, he said that he hopes Caden goes straight to hell and asks the judge to deny him any bond. A couple of days went by after this with Caden in jail and Denali walking free, but all of that changed on June 7th. On June 7th, 2019, Denali's days of bullshit stories and Facebook posts came to an end when she too was charged with first-degree murder and tampering with evidence. But not before the Daily Beast reports that she took to Snapchat to say goodbye. In the video, she says, I want to thank everyone who's been there for me my whole life in these past few years and everything. I fucked up. I know I did. If I could take back what I've done, I can't. In another video transcribed by the Washington Post, Denali said, I guess you'll hear from me when you hear from me, but I won't be back for a long time. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do it. I didn't mean to do it. At her arraignment the following day, KTVA reports that Denali stood up and said, I know I did something wrong, and I know I could have probably done something different if I was able to, and I don't want my daughter knowing that her mom grew up a killer because I don't see myself as one. First of all, yes, Denali did have a daughter, but according to the Anchorage Daily News, she'd been given up for adoption. Second of all, yeah, you could have done something different, literally anything different, but you didn't. While Denali was worrying about what her daughter was going to think about her birth mother, Cynthia's parents, siblings, cousins, and friends were left to mourn her senseless murder. Now, you might think that with Caden and Denali both behind bars for first-degree murder, that this would be where we sit and wait for updates on the trial. But this case is not even close to being that simple. Just two days after Denali was arrested, three more people were arrested in connection to Cynthia's murder. That's five people if we're counting, and we are definitely counting. 
The three additional people were a 19-year-old named Caleb and two minors that were so young that their names had been kept private. They're referred to as Jane Doe and John Doe. Most of Jane and John Doe's involvement, whatever it is, has been kept pretty quiet. According to Fox News, Caleb said that he, Denali, Caden, and the two minors all agreed to kill Cynthia near Thunderbird Falls. The Daily Mail reports that Denali and Caden had gone to John Doe's house after killing Cynthia and told him that they'd shot Cynthia and killed her. According to Caleb, Cynthia had been told that they were going on a hike. A hike is a whole different story than let's go into the middle of nowhere down a path by the creek, bind each other with duct tape, and take pictures. This report by Fox News comes with yet another twist, though. According to the outlet, instead of Denali saying that Caden took her gun from her, she was now saying that she told Caden to take the gun and shoot Cynthia, which changes everything. Not only did that change her story, it changed Caden's, too. If this wasn't in the heat of the moment where Caden blacked out and Denali was scared for her life like they claimed, what the fuck had happened and why? Seriously, why? Why were there five people involved in getting Cynthia into the woods in the middle of nowhere to bind her and shoot her in the back of the head? And why had her best friend supplied the gun and given the orders? With about a million questions still unanswered, this case gets even more fucked up when the Daily Mail reports that not only was Caleb being charged in connection to Cynthia's murder... He was also being charged with sexual assault and sexual abuse of a minor for allegedly assaulting Jane Doe, who had also been charged in connection to Cynthia's murder. Now again, you might have thought that this was the last twist in this fucking tilt-a-whirl of a case, but no, not even close. Because when the police were combing through Denali's phone to see what they might find in reference to Cynthia's murder, they saw child pornography in plain sight. It was in a text exchange with this guy that Denali knew as Tyler. In those texts, Denali and Tyler talk about a 15-year-old girl that Denali picked out to sexually assault. Denali talks about getting the victim high so she won't fight back, and Tyler tells her in explicit detail what he wants her to do to the victim and tells her to send him photos and videos of it as she does. I read through this text chain and it was graphic and horrific, and I frankly don't feel comfortable sharing the details of it, especially considering the fact that the victim was 15, but they're heinous. To make this even worse than it already is, the Washington Post also reported that Denali admitted to also sexually abusing an eight or nine-year-old, though no photos or videos of that were ever recovered. At the end of this horrifying chain of text, photos, and videos, this Tyler guy sends the following text. I wish I never made a deal with you in the first place. We can meet, but once I see a cop, I'm telling him or her that I made you rape people and killed Cece. I don't even deserve you. I still want kids, but I can't because I have a child porn fetish I have to get over. I have a rape fetish I want to get over, so I can never get help or be in a Hallie relationship. I can only assume that Hallie was supposed to be healthy. It's not clear at this point what kind of sick deal Tyler and Denali had, but it is clear that he knew about Cynthia's murder and even knew her nickname. With a sixth person possibly involved in Cynthia's murder, the police went to work trying to track down who Tyler was. Denali was under the impression that he was a millionaire out of Kansas, but as it turns out, his name wasn't Tyler, he wasn't a millionaire, he wasn't the guy in the picture he was using, and he didn't even live in Kansas. 
According to the criminal complaint, Tyler was actually a guy named Darren out of Indiana, and according to KTUU, had been a person of interest in a case in 2018 after he contacted a woman in California saying that he had an infant fetish and had asked her to send him photos of infants and dirty diapers. Once Denali was made aware of the fact that she'd been catfished by this guy, she sang like a fucking canary. According to the Washington Post, Darren had recruited Denali to sexually assault the minors and had offered her $9 million to rape and murder someone in Alaska and to send him photos and videos of it. Photos and videos that Fox 5 San Diego reports she did send. In fact, according to the Anchorage Daily News, Denali sent Darren Snapchat photos of Cynthia both before and after she had been killed. And while Denali did follow most of Darren's alleged orders, I want to stop for a second and say that according to the Washington Post, investigators found no evidence that Cynthia had been sexually assaulted. The first time I read about this deal that Darren had likely been referencing in that last text, my heart sank at the idea that anything else might have been done to Cynthia, so I wanted to save you from wondering if that detail was coming. It is not. Denali did take Darren up on his $9 million offer and then recruited the other four people to help her execute it with the promise of getting a cut of the money. The outlet reports that Caleb was offered $500,000 simply for the use of his truck. And while no one seems to know why Cynthia was chosen as the victim, the Daily Beast reports that they started planning her murder three weeks before it happened. The outlet reports that Jane Doe was there while Cynthia's murder was being planned and that John Doe admitted to agreeing to help in the kidnap and murder plot. It's no surprise that at this point, Darren, too, was arrested. According to the Daily Beast, all six people involved had been charged with first-degree murder, conspiracy to commit murder, and two counts of second-degree murder. The Anchorage Daily News reports that Darren was also federally charged with production, attempted production, receipt and distribution, and conspiracy to produce child pornography, as well as coercion and enticement of a minor. All of this, all of these sick and twisted details and arrests, came within nine days of Cynthia's disappearance. Nine days. Hundreds of people showed up to Cynthia's funeral. This town was devastated and shattered at the depravity of what was done and done to such a kind and gentle soul. At the funeral, her father told KTUU that he had one thing on his mind, to send all six of them to hell, telling Inside Edition that none of them better get out while I am alive in this world. Some of Denali's sisters wound up speaking with KTUU and said that Denali had a traumatic childhood. She was one of five sisters that had all been removed from their mother's care at an early age after they say a man who was living with their mother killed their two-month-old sister. They go on to tell the outlet that Denali was adopted at a young age and given the opportunity to break the cycle, but that she took the wrong path with the wrong people and that they had no plans to reach out to her. Her younger sister told the Anchorage Daily News that the only reason she spoke out was because she wanted everyone to know that they weren't all like Denali and that they too want justice for Cynthia. 
Darren's family also made a statement to WAVE3. They said, Darren is a low-functioning individual, which was apparent at an early age. His biological family did not want him. He was subsequently adopted into the, our family, in an attempt to provide a better life for a child. We had no knowledge of what was happening, nor did we believe he was mentally or morally capable of carrying out these actions. We are mortified this is attached to our name. Our family is disgusted and hopes justice is served. We want the victim's families to know that our thoughts and prayers are with them. As bad as our embarrassment may be, it pales in comparison to the tragedy they have to endure. This isn't a case where the perpetrator's families are making excuses or trying to defend their actions. Everyone seems to be on the same page, that Cynthia and every other victim in this case deserves justice. Since the charges, there have been several delays due to the massive amounts of discovery involved. Basically, every report, every cell phone extraction, every hard drive, every piece of evidence, every statement, everything. All parties on all sides have to have enough time to thoroughly examine it all. Because of this, no one charged in connection to Cynthia's murder has gone to trial yet. Cynthia's father posted on Facebook saying that the trials will be starting soon, but in the meantime, he has celebrated every single one of Cynthia's birthdays and held memorial rides for justice around the anniversary of her death. As this case moves along through the justice system and the six people involved get closer to trial, I will be sure to update you. For all photos pertaining to this case, check out Cynthia's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley, and meet me there tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern, where we go live and discuss this case. If you like your podcast ad-free, head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash bigmadtruecrime, where for just one whole dollar a month, your episodes are totally ad-free. If you need more episodes in your life, for just $5 a month, you get a bonus episode on the first Monday of every month. All your episodes are ad-free, and you'll also receive a forever discount code for all Big Mad True Crime merch. And of course, anytime you sign up, you get instant access to all previous bonus episodes. I'll be bringing you a brand new case a week from today, and I cannot wait. But until then, we out. 